my voice isn't giving out. I got really into that tic-tac-toe game. I, got, I told Elijah to turn the mic up. I was like nervous that my voice was going to just go halfway through this. Um, I haven't yelled that much in a long time. But uh, tonight, we are back uh, post-winter retreat, post-Win uh, Mary spring break, posted a little time off. We are back, and we are starting a new series called Unlikely Heroes. And in this, we're going to be looking at the, some stories and some characters in the Bible that seemed at first an unlikely choice for God to use in that situation. But ultimately, as we look at the story, as we examine the story, as we seek to understand how God uses people uh, and puts them on a path to further his mission in the world, to further his kingdom on earth, we will see some patterns and we can see how we can apply what happened to these characters in the Bible. Uh, We can see those patterns uh, also showing up in our own lives. And uh, this kind of thing, this kind of thing where uh, somebody who's an unexpected person to become the hero of the story, I feel like is a classic story and movie uh, trope. I feel like it happens in movies. You know, guys know I love movies all the time. And it's kind of the person who at the beginning of the story, and you've probably seen enough movies. Uh, we probably, you probably have all probably seen enough movies to know that like, if they're setting somebody up at the beginning to like, look weak or look like they're probably not the good guy, there's a good chance they're going to have like a nice little redemption arc, turn around and be an unlikely hero of the story. And as I was thinking about this idea, there was a few that kind of popped into my head that like initially when you see them in these movies, you're like, I mean, I guess they're cool. Sometimes you're like, maybe they're not cool at all. But ultimately they end up being uh, some sort of hero, some sort of uh, like main character by the beginning of the story. And the first one, some of you might recognize uh, Han Solo from the Star Wars movies, the original trilogy. Um, he kind of comes in. He's kind of like, he's like a space piratey type guy. He's real selfish. Uh, doesn't seem like he wants to be in on all of this, you know, galactic empire, bringing them down kind of nonsense. But ultimately ends up being a general, being a good guy. Yeah, you guys know. You guys know. Star Wars. Next one, you know I had to pull a Harry Potter reference in here. My boy Neville Longbottom. My boy, they did my guy dirty for like six movies. Six books, six movies. But they set him up as weak. He kind of plays as comic relief. And yet it is one, he is one of the key people to bring down he who must not be named. Am I right? At the end of the series. And I'm sorry if I just spoiled that for you. Good point. But it was written 20 years ago. So at this point, I'm sorry. Um, and finally, one of my favorite is, yeah, I know. It's my favorite too. People just getting, it's electric for Kung Fu Panda. Poe, my guy Poe from the Kung Fu Panda movies. Um, you know, they set him up as this like kind of buffoon. He becomes the dragon warrior, but it's like kind of a joke because he's obviously not the dragon warrior. But then at the end, spoiler alert, he's the dragon warrior. And so we are not going to be looking at any movies tonight, but we are going to be looking at the beginning of the Bible. We're going to be going to Exodus. And like Amanda said, we're going to be looking at the first unlikely hero that we see. Oh, spoiler alert. Talk about spoiler alert. Moses. Um, and this is actually how it looks. That's how it looked in, the, in uh, Hebrew. It was like, uh, you know, cool and electric and had some space vibes. Um, I, I googled Moses, and this is the one of the first images that came up. And I was like, 
I like that. We're going to put that on the screen. Um, okay, so Moses, probably a lot of name recognition. What do you guys know about Moses? Anything? He what? He parted the Red Sea. Nice. You got something else, or that was the only thing you knew? Nice. Yep, he led people out of Egypt. Yep. Staff into a snake. Nice. Anything else about Moses? That's all we know? Yeah. I mean, there's no way I can hear you, so. Save God's people. That's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I was looking for that so we could start my journey here. He was, as a child, put in a basket and floated down the river, right? And we're going to jump into Moses' story kind of, oh, yeah, see, there you go. That's nice. I Googled a bunch of stuff and just see what kind of artwork came up, and then I'm using it as a visual display of a journey through the first few chapters of Exodus before we get to where we're actually going. So before Moses parted the Red Sea, before Moses led his people out of Egypt, before no one said this, but he went up on the mountain and came back down with the Ten Commandments, before he wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, Moses was a baby. And Moses' uh, parents were Jewish, and he was put in a basket and found by the princess of Egypt, the Pharaoh's daughter. And so he was raised in as part of the royal family and uh, a part of like Pharaoh's family. And this is Exodus chapter 2, and then it like kind of jumps ahead in time. And Moses is walking down the street, and he happens upon a Jewish man being beaten, uh, by, being beaten by an Egyptian man. And Moses intervenes, and in his intervention, he ends up killing. He ends up killing the Egyptian man. And then it, the next part of Exodus chapter two, we're still in chapter two. All this is happening is that Pharaoh finds out that he has killed an Egyptian and vows to kill him is retribution. And so he goes on the run, and now we have another time jump, and it's now been 40 years of Moses going from living with the royal, uh, the Pharaoh's family, to uh, you jump 40 years. He's on the run. He ends up getting married. He has kids. He finds a new job in kind of hiding, and that job is that he is a shepherd. And so for 40 years, uh, and we're still in Exodus chapter 2. So they pack a lot into Exodus chapter 2. He becomes a shepherd. And then in Exodus chapter 3, while he's out in the field with the sheep, he encounters another thing that nobody said. A burning bush. Nice. There he is. He lost his shave in between those two scenes too, I guess. Um, but he, um, he encounters the burning bush. And it, it's not just a bush that caught fire. What, who, what was happening with the bush? Who was, God was speaking to him. Nice, good answer. Better than your other one that you said earlier. Um, and I know, I'm sorry. I apologize. Are we good? Can I continue? No, I know, I know, I know. All right, so he, he encounters this burning bush and he is in the presence of God. And, and Moses is kind of like, oh my gosh, I'm in the presence of God. And he's like, Okay, like why, why? What's going on? And in Exodus chapter 3, it begins a conversation that goes the entirety of chapter 3 and the entirety of chapter 4 between him and God. 
And because it doesn't tell me otherwise, I'm assuming that this whole conversation is happening like this, between Moses standing in a pasture in a field, and there's a bush, kind of a scraggly looking bush, and it's on fire, and in that fire is the presence of God. And what God is doing as he has come to see Moses after 40 years of escaping from Egypt, he's asked him to go back to Egypt and to, like a lot of you said, ultimately end up saving his people from slavery. And so this is exactly where we're going to pick up the beginning of Moses' story because this is kind of the, the first piece of, in, of him interacting with God. This is his first step towards becoming this legend of the faith, this big deal in, um, in Judaism and then, and then also in Christianity. And so we're going to be in Exodus chapter 4. And we're going to start with the first nine verses, and then we'll go through it a little bit and go from there. So Exodus 4, 1 through 9 says, Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. And the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, A staff. And he said, Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. Same, I would do the same. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it and it became a staff in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has appeared to you. There's another slide there. Yep. Again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside of the cloak. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. This means his hand was kind of like sickly and dying. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he did it. And when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. And if they will not believe you or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. And if they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. And the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. And so what we see here is it's kind of, we're kind of jumping in in Exodus 4 into this conversation that started back at the very beginning with like the, whoa, that bush is on fire. And in this conversation, it is God telling Moses what he wants him to do, which is go to Israel and lead his people out of slavery. And it is Moses dropping excuse after excuse after excuse as to why he shouldn't do it, why he doesn't want to do it. And right here in these first nine verses, we see the first excuse um, that we're going to look at tonight that Moses gives, and that's just that right there in verse 1, he said, they won't believe me. And every time he makes an excuse, God responds and shows a different aspect of who he is. And I think as we look at this story in Exodus, as we look at this story in Exodus, as we look at Moses' call to becoming uh, a, a man who ended up leading an entire people and doing great things in the name of the Lord, I think we can learn a lot about our own calls, about our own, uh, the own, our own questions that might, God might be asking us, uh, the uh, direction that he might be pointing us in, um, and, and the typical response that he sometimes gives to those who maybe are a little timid, a little shy, a little want to make excuses to God's call in their life. And so Moses makes this first excuse. He says they won't Believe me, and God's response is to show his power. He gives him those three signs 
One of which somebody, a couple people said earlier, he said, turns the staff into a serpent and back. He turns his hand leprous and sickly and gross, and then he heals it by sticking it right back in the same pocket. And then finally he gives him a, a third one that he can use later on. He can pull, when he gets to Egypt, he can pull the water out of the Nile, pour it on the ground, and in gross, it'll turn into blood. And what this is kind of doing is these signs, this, this power that is being shown, God's power is there to um, not necessarily even evoke belief from Moses, although it certainly helps because he's been so like, I don't want to do it, God. But it's also there um, as he's going, the, the they and they won't believe me are the elders of the people that he's trying to convince to let him save them, right? And so this conversation that he's trying to go have, he says, I can't do it. They won't believe me. And God says, look at the power that I have that you now have access to, that you can show them as a sign that, that you are from, that you are coming from me. And I think for us, when we feel a call from God in our life, or maybe even question if we have been called in our life, I think that this is often an excuse that we can use. The, I don't know if they're going to believe me. I don't know if that person is going to be receptive if I start talking about my faith to them. Uh, they're not going to want to come to Thursday nights, or they're not going to want to come on the retreat. I, I'm not even going to talk to them. I, they won't believe that what, that what we've got going on here is, is something good. They, might, they don't want to be a part of that. They're not going to believe me. And I think oftentimes, too, even we demand signs from God. We say, all right, well, if God really wants me to go reach out to that person or connect with that person or talk to that person, then he'll open up an opportunity for me. And I think often, uh, it, while the sign might not be, you know, turning your hand sickly and deadly and then turning it back to regular, um, I think that often those signs are there and we either dismiss them or just miss them altogether because we're not looking for them. So that's Moses' first excuse and God's response with showing a show of his power. Uh, next, going to verse 10, we see the next excuse. Moses said to the Lord, oh my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. And the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. Moses' second excuse is simply, I, I can't do it. I'm not eloquent. I don't know the words to say. I'm not the guy. I can't do it. And God responds, not with his power this time, but with his presence. He says, I will be with you. For who created you? Do you think that God doesn't know what Moses can or cannot do, what he is capable of? And I think for us, we say we can't do what God calls us to, to go talk to that person, to reach out to this person, to take that next step in our own faith journey. Because we think maybe he'll abandon us. We think maybe he hasn't shown up enough yet to warrant our commitment to that next step. But God, God reacts, God responds with power, but he also responds with a reminder of his presence. We are not alone. Moses was not alone. And we will always, oh, but we always leave out that God is present. I think sometimes we forget or we pretend that we don't remember that throughout the Bible, God says, I will be with you. God says, I am there. God says, what are you doing? 
God, said, God says that. God says, what are you doing? To, what is your, just take, go figure it out. If you're, don't just sit there with your watch plan stuff. Moses said, I can't do it. God responds with his presence. That's, you know, you get it. Um, the third, <laughs> the third uh, excuse that Moses says after God responds with this, this talk of his presence <clears throat> is to simply to send someone else. And I think, is there, is there that verse 13? There it is. Ooh, cut off the one. But he said, this is Moses again, oh my Lord, please send someone else. Pretty simple, straight to the point. And then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with you, well, with your mouth and with his mouth, and I will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. And so Moses' excuse to send someone else, God responds with his providence. He sends Moses' brother Aaron, a Levite, who speaks well. It's his job. He's a priest. His job is to talk, to speak, to be eloquent like Moses says he can't be. And it's not exactly what Moses wanted, right? Moses wanted him to send somebody else, but like let Moses stay behind. So it's not exactly what he wanted, but it is what he needed at that moment. Aaron would be Moses' mouthpiece, and Moses would still be in charge, tasked with going to Egypt and setting his people free. And I was reading, as I was reading about this passage, there was one commentator, uh, his name's Warren Wearsby, and he wrote, one of the most painful judgments God can send is to let his people have their own way. And I think... Uh, Exodus is a long book, right? And for, this is chapter four, and for 32 chapters, Aaron is with Moses. He's riding, they go down to Egypt. He helps speak uh, to Pharaoh for Moses. He helps speak to the elders of the Jewish people for Moses and with Moses. They go all the way through the parting of the Red Sea, the plagues, They're wandering around the desert. They get to the mountain, and Moses goes up on the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments. And it is actually Aaron who is the one who gets the people to melt down all their gold jewelry and make a calf that they start worshiping instead of God. And so the point of this is not if God sends someone to help you, they're going to get you later on. That's not what I'm trying to say. But what I am saying is that sometimes what we think what we want Moses said, I I can't speak, I'm not great at it, I can't do it. God will send help, but I think if we had just committed to being faithful to his call, if if Moses had just said, I don't believe that I can do this, God, but you seem to believe in me, and so I will go, I will trust you, I will do as you say, then they get all the way through that point, and there is no golden calf moment. And maybe those people who ended up worshiping the golden calf get to go to the promised land rather than wander around in the desert waiting for the next generation to come about to, so that the next generation gets to go to the promised land and not them. And I think what's interesting about this as we think about how this um, relates to us is that God, for us, God will always provide what we need. But what we want and what we need aren't always the same thing. And, and part of Growing in our faith, part of, 
kind of understanding what it is uh, to be a Christian, to, to, to try to navigate life with this tension of carrying our faith with us is to figure out what is God's call and what is just things that we want. Because sometimes they're aligned uh, and sometimes they're not or sometimes they're almost there and you get into this situation like Moses did with Aaron. And I think as we look at, at Moses' excuses to God's call on his life, to God's responses of power, of presence, and of providence, I think that there, the, the lesson here is that God will never, never call us to where his power, his presence, and his providence cannot prevail if we follow him in faith. I'll say that again. God will never call us to where his power, his presence, and his providence cannot fail if we follow him in faith. And I think faith in him, faith that, that he is true to his word, faith that he sent the embodiment of his power, of his presence here to be with us to, as an act of providence in Jesus Christ, who by faith alone allows us the opportunity to be in relationship with him, to take him at his word, to believe that if, with faith alone we are saved. And the same God of Abraham, the same God of Isaac, the same God of Moses is calling us as well to be a part of his, of his mission, of his kingdom. And we need just take that step of that, that belief, that faith, that maybe this time when we see that window of opportunity open, that maybe this time when we think that we can feel or, or hear or understand God's call in our life, that we can just take that step forward, that we, can, that we can lean into it, that we can not just throw up an excuse like Moses did. Because ultimately, Moses became, from this kind of whiny, uh, excuse-giving guy, he became uh, the, the person who led the Jewish people out of slavery that ultimately got them to the doorstep of the promised land. He did great things, um, but, but he almost blew it with his excuses. Uh, and so that's what I want to talk about tonight in small group um, as we have looked at Moses. And so if, I'll just pray real fast for us, uh, and then we can break. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this opportunity to dive into your word, to study characters who we hear about, who we hear referenced all the time, but maybe we don't understand exactly how they got to the point of being legends of the faith, of being pillars of the faith. God... Tonight, this week, as we go out, as we talk about Moses, as we continue to let these, this, this lesson that we read in Exodus chapter 4 soak and wash over us, God, I ask that you open our eyes to see where you are calling us. Open our ears to hear the opportunities that you have placed before us, where we can dive into those, where we can, can step up and maybe we can become a, a, a hero of the faith as well, where we can be a part of your mission of building your kingdom here on earth. God, we, we love you, and we praise you, and we thank you for this opportunity. And all God's people said, amen.